On today's podcast, we have Joe DeSena. Joe is the CEO and founder of Spartan Race. Spartan hosts over 400 races in 60 countries with over 1 million participants every year. He's also a New York Times best-selling author of Spartan Up, Spartan Fit, and the Spartan Way. Joe grew up in Queens, New York, a working class kid in a mafia neighborhood. He had a successful career on Wall Street as an equity derivatives trader before pivoting to compete in what would end up being hundreds of extreme adventure races. In a single year, Joe competed in 50 ultra marathons and 14 Ironman events. Joe's a tireless worker, a serial entrepreneur, and a legend in adventure racing. In this episode, we're going to discuss the value of doing hard things, the role significant emotional events have in our lives, and how we can better navigate adversity. I hope you enjoy. Joe DeSena, welcome to the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this one. We've got a lot of shared values. I wanted to start with you taking us back to where it all began for you, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I um, I I was just with one of your comrades. I was just with Richard Branson on his island, and and I got asked <laughs> the same question. Tell me, tell me how it all began a couple of days ago. And funny enough, the first race I ever held was was right around his island, right around Branson's island, the British Virgin Islands, and I lost a guy. But before we get into that, let's go further back. Let's go back to the 70s. I grew up in Queens, New York. If anybody saw the movie Goodfellas, I grew up ground zero, organized crime, very Italian neighborhood, Italian and Jewish. And if you were a young kid there, that's what you aspire to be because those folks had the nice cars, the rolls of $100 bills in their pockets. They had respect. So that's what you wanted to be. If if all those guys were marathon runners and they had nice cars because they were winning marathon, that's what we would want wanted to be. If they were in the military, that's what we would have wanted to be. So we were chasing that. We were eating unhealthy, as you can imagine, you know, terrible lifestyle for, for most people in this neighborhood. My mom's mom, my grandmother gets sick. She has cancer. It's the early 70s. My mother, in an act of desperation to, to attempt to save her mom, goes into a health food store, probably the only health food store in all of you know, the East Coast at that time. There were no Whole Foods, no Lululemon. Anyway, she walks in. We had close proximity to John F. Kennedy Airport. So a lot of international flights coming in. And there was a, there was a yogi. There was an 80-plus-year-old yogi in the health food store when my mother walked in. And that yogi started to talk to my mother and convinced my mother on the spot that eating a vegan diet, doing yoga, meditating was the way to go. If you, if you want to save your mother, you've got to change your lifestyle. And my mom leaves this meeting and completely transforms her own life, her family's life, gets in a fight with us because, you know, my grandfather and I walking into the house at that moment with sausage and peppers and looking to make a nice Italian sandwich and none of us want any part of what she's preaching. Like that is so wacky and so crunchy and so like not interesting that my parents end up getting divorced. Um, in that process, one of the things my mother takes up is long distance running. 
This yogi also starts a race called the Transcendence Run. It's a 3,100-mile run around a one-mile loop in Queens, New York. It still exists today. You run 50 to 60 miles every day. There's about eight people that sign up for it. It's it's You, you got to be you know off your rock because you're just going in circles all day, every day. And the idea was, uh, look how powerful the mind is if you put your mind to you know towards doing something we are so we are capable of so much more than we think we are so anyway she's on this journey she moves to Ithaca New York because it's a much more forgiving place there's there's professors there there's people that are more open minded to my mom's new way of life i want to get back to the neighborhood so i got on one hand of my you know one shoulder i've got tough guys people going to jail people working hard, building businesses. On the other side, I've got this health and wellness mom, you know, monks in the living room chanting with beads, like crazy shit going on. The old going to, yin and yang. Yeah, going to India. And and all in the center of it, the, you know, this, this long distance running thing. Everybody my mom meets is transformed. Like, they talk about their life changing. I'm not necessarily interested in the way their life changed because I'm not into that whole thing, but it is, you know, it's probably taking notes in my head somewhere. On the other hand, with my dad, he had an uncanny ability. The whole neighborhood had an, an ability to suck you up into the hustle. Mm -hmm. Like if you were not waking up early, if you're not getting after it, you were left behind. And you might go over my house if you were one of my friends and, and think you were going to get some food or we're going to watch a movie, but somehow we're hanging sheetrock and we're like, we're doing like, I don't know how it would happen, but, but everybody was working in an, in some form or fashion. Fast forward. I, by accident and hard work get into Cornell because that's where my mom had moved us. I have an aspiration to make some money. I want to go back to the neighborhood. I've been building a business in the neighborhood, cleaning all these wise guys' swimming pools. Now I'm doing construction and things because they trust me. And a friend of mine says, you got to go to Wall Street. And I don't really want to go to Wall Street because I have my mindset on the neighborhood and I'm I'm in with all these guys. And, and he keeps pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. So I ultimately end up selling that business in Queens. And during that time, by the way, I'm working 15, 16 hour days with my hands. I'm mixing cement, I'm laying bricks, an incredible fitness routine every day, not even knowing it. Cause that's just the way, you know, that's what the business required. It was very physical, it was outside. I sell that to my employees, two Polish immigrants who are animals. They've, they've made me really appreciate the Eastern European work ethic and I'm, I wish we could export that to the entire world, especially to Americans. That would solve a few problems. It would solve a few problems. Uh, it seems the more advanced any society is, the less, the further away it is from that Eastern European work ethic. So anyway, get to Wall Street, hustle, feel like I made it. I end up building a business there. And... I'm not feeling very healthy. I'm no longer mixing cement outside. I'm no longer getting sunlight. You know, shocking statistic. We spend 95% of our lives indoors. 95% of our lives indoors. And 
And there's no wonder that, you know, testosterone rates and everything like, so it's no wonder that I wasn't feeling good because now I went from being outside and sweating and breathing heavy to sitting at a desk all day, looking at screens and getting yelled at by clients and losing money or making money. I was just. And was that, in a, was that a trading role in Wall Street? Yeah, we, we yeah. traded equities and derivatives for the banks. Okay. Okay. So it was absolutely nutty all day, every day. Yeah, intense. Good or bad. And so I'm building that business. I'm not feeling very alive, making money. And I stumble on my mother's ways that, you know, what she was preaching, which I was rejecting. And I start doing some hot yoga. Ooh. And I start doing, I start carrying dumbbells in the stairwell of our building. You and I have a mutual friend. He, he'll recall these instances where I would get people in the stairwells. I loved running up and down stairs, <laughs> felt alive. I started doing adventure races. I heard about these things. I bet you didn't get him running up and down those stairs. Not very much. Most people would read. Yeah, most people would read. I would have to lie to people. I would have to say, not kidding. I would have to say, come over to my house for the weekend. We're going to have a barbecue. And then I'd wake them up at 5 a.m. and I'd have them carry the barbecue up the mountain. I got, I, I got people to do, just like my dad did, just like the neighborhood did. I got people to do these unbelievable physical things by lying to them. Ultimately, when it was over, we had incredible stories to share. They felt alive. And maybe it was the impetus to get their life changed. But anyway, I found these adventure races, kayak, bike, run all over the world. It was like mid nineties at this point. I'm competing in them. I can't even describe to you how alive I felt because again, I was not on the trading desk. I was outside. I was breathing heavy. I was sweating. I wanted water, food, and shelter. And when you want just water, food, and shelter, you feel alive. You're not worried about the silly superficial garbage that that we get sucked up into. And I found myself thinking about, could I turn this into a business? Could I actually take what I love and make this a business that would change lives and support me, my family? And so in 2000, 2001, I started this idea as a side project while I was trading. And I thought maybe there were 50,000 people around the world that would actually do this stuff, maybe. But those 50,000 people might inspire millions. Right, The guy that climbs Mount Everest, the girl that rows a, a boat across the Atlantic, you you name right? They would, inspire, yeah, yeah. they would inspire potentially millions. So I attempted to run it as a business. The first race we we're going to put on is the British Virgin Islands, the one I started the story with. It's down around Brances Island, uh, Tortola, Necker, Yost Van Dyke. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to hit all these islands. We're going we're gonna to kayak. We're going to swim. We're going to sail. We're going to run. We're going to coast a We're going to climb ropes out of the rocks in the, in the ocean, 350 miles long. And early in the setup of the race, one of our guys that was setting the ropes fell on the coral, cut his leg. So our team told him to go over to Tortola and get some stitches. In the process of getting in the dinghy and starting the engine, a storm rolled in. The engine didn't start and he vanished and no one noticed. Fast forward eight days, the race was over. People are popping champagne. Somebody whispers to me, we haven't seen so-and-so in eight days. I said, what the fuck are you talking about? 
that we haven't seen him. He, and they described the story. I call Branson. We we get his helicopter. My my father-in-law is a Navy pilot, helicopter pilot. Him, Branson's pilot, the Coast Guard, lay out their maps. Terrible storms. No chance this guy's alive. They find him 150 miles away on Little Tobago. He had drifted to a deserted island. He's eating crabs and drinking water. Unbelievable, unbelievable story. That's so, incredible, yeah. What's interesting, what's really interesting about it when reflecting on it, and I, again, I was just with Branson a few days ago, so it's fresh in my mind, is an incident like that would take an entrepreneur or would-be entrepreneur like me and probably stop you in your tracks and say, okay, we, it's probably not a business we want to do. But I was so passionate about changing lives that I stayed on course. And here we are. That's incredible. Um, it sounds like a, from Goodfellas to Wolf of Wall Street to a bit of Castaway. Yeah. What, what, what a dent. Um, I, mean, I mean, so at that point in time, you take on this challenge because no one was doing anything like that at the time. You had this idea. It resonated with you. But as we touched on, your, it's not the uh, the the average mentality in terms of people that want to just jump up and start attacking challenges like that. What what was it that you that gave you that belief and conviction that you could 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 really make that work and turn it into what you ultimately have? Well, I I guess I guess I enjoyed it so much. When, when an entrepreneur has an idea or somebody that wants to change the world has an idea, it usually is something that's solving a problem for themselves. So it was certainly solving my own problem okay. and making, making me feel good. Everybody around me that I roped into these races, including that race in the BBI, I had many people that had no business being out there, but it was very normal for me to just throw somebody in a boat. And just say, now, now anybody listening to this is going to say, oh my God, Joe is so irresponsible. But, but how else would they ever get that experience of rowing a rowboat, you know, 15 yeah. miles to another island? Yeah. And they would never get that. They might watch a movie about adventure. They might read a book about it, but they would never, they would never live it themselves. And so I just, I loved that idea of giving people this infection that I caught, which was this this adventurous like thing. Now, now again, in the seventies, had everybody in that neighborhood been in the military, that's where I would have got my adventure. Okay. Right? My, my dream, my dream, I was talking about at 5 a.m. this morning with a bunch of U.S. military. There's a big problem in the U.S. right now. I'm sure there's a problem in all developing countries, but there, there, there's a major shortfall in recruitment. Uh, when they look at, you know, 17 to 24 year olds, only best case, 20% of those kids would even qualify because the other 80% are either fat, sick, drugged up, drinking, have legal issues. Like they don't even qualify 80% yeah, of those kids. Some medical yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. They've got some issues. So, so you're dealing with a small population and how would we energize them? How would we even get the 20% that would qualify into not just shape for the military, but like shape to live a prosperous life, a healthy life. Mm -hmm. How would we do it? 
I look at my own household. Sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole. I'm really passionate about no, this. this. I look, I look at my own household and I run with my wife, a crazy household where I'm asking of, of our kids to do ridiculous things. The girls were up this morning at 5.50. They were training in the garage. The boys are wrestlers. They train four hours a day. We're crazy, right? They're on their vitamin regimens. They're in a cold plunge before they get going in the morning. When we were living on the farm in Vermont, they're in the river. Like even in that environment, which people listening are saying Joe's a nutcase, terrible for his kids. They're staring at their phone every other minute they have. Staring at their phone. This morning, I took the phones. Very common for me in the morning. Take the phones. I might as well have been taking their babies, right? <laughs> this phone is so damn addictive that the kids that aren't in my house or in some crazy parent's house or in the military don't have a fighting chance. Yeah. They don't have a fighting chance. Like, the parents aren't willing to rock the boat. The parents don't want to be fighting with the kids. The kid's not listening. The parents aren't eating health. Like, recipe for disaster. Sorry, mm. I'm, 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 I'm like, no, it's so. Leads to a lack of leadership, full stop, right? Personal and, uh, you know, levels above that. Big problem leadership in the house, leadership everywhere. Our business, our races we put on take care of a tiny, tiny segment of the population. You know this better than anybody. You sign up for something hard and all of a sudden you start doing the work. But those kids are not, those kids are not scrolling TikTok signing up for something hard. No. They're looking, they're looking for easy. Yeah. And it's handed on a plate. And that's the problem, yeah. right? Path of least resistance, you'll take the easy option, especially at that at that age. And that's why I think we we we've got to do better. Uh, as a generation leading the generations that come after us. My, my uh, new saying, and, and, and let's push this out there regarding kids. If it's not us, who's going to do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? So you and you and I have to do it. Like who's going to do it? Absolutely. Parents are parents aren't doing it. Who's doing it? Teachers aren't doing it. School's not doing it. Yeah. And just, just coming back a bit, in terms of the challenge you took on because you, you it's quite clear that you have this inherent part of your nature there's something entrepreneurial there like in terms of where it all started with the pools then into finance wall street then then obviously what you've achieved with spartan is just incredible what were some of the strengths that you, you think some of the things that maybe came naturally to you that that enabled you to achieve what you did across multiple industries but then to really send it with uh with spartan well certainly you know there's that incredible quote about persistence right you could you could be the smartest person we see lots of people with intelligence that don't do anything you could be the yeah. best looking you could have all these traits but the one trait that gets it done is persistence you just don't quit okay. and the reason if you're listening to this the reason persistence is such a powerful trait is because to do anything great, uh, build a great family, build great children, build a great business, build a great career, whatever, build, you know, a great uh, athletic accomplishment. To do anything great, you're going to face headwinds. You're going to want to quit. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong. So just by definition, being persistent and getting through all those obstacles 
and continuing to march forward in the face of naysayers and you name it, you're just one of the few that get to the finish. So of course you're going to be successful. Everybody else drops out. Yeah. And that, Joe, for me, is one of the things I love most about your events and those sorts of challenges full stop is that they are, they're almost, it's like living a life. Um, but over a weekend, say, the amount of lessons when you're pushed to your limits and you're constrained, uh, it forces you, it, it effectively acts as what we call in psychology, like a significant emotional event. And it forces you to look at yourself but you're also constrained to actually take action. Uh, and it baselines everything. Like you were talking about that cup of water. When you are thirsty, there is nothing better in the world than that cup of water or that breath of air or that two minute breather. Um, and it sort of baselines everything and sort of that, that, that sort of factory reset. But also there's so many lessons you're taught in terms of having to face and confront all those things you talked about that life's going to throw at you, whether you like it or not but you, you get rapid exposure to them and they're amplified over that weekend. So you get what the average person maybe gets in 10 years in a weekend. And it means you can harness that learning and, uh, uh, and channel it in, in a way that just levels up your life full stop. And I've been gobsmacked at looking at some of their stories from people that have completed Spartans and the impacts it's had on their lives. And I wondered if you'd mind sharing a couple of examples because i know you've, you've you've completed some races with certain individuals who've gone through huge life challenges and who've been in pretty dark places but then maybe got into some of these races um and leveled up first of all remember this moment in the podcast because you just said so well what i've been trying to say for 25 years so i want to i want to extract your words and put it into a linkedin article it's a significant emotional event never heard that those three words strung together. And that's exactly what this, it's not just Spartan, it's Tough Mudder, it's anything incredibly challenging. We can listen to podcasts, we can read books. I have a podcast, you have a podcast. Those are great, we'll watch movies, whatever. But they don't change you, like actually getting out there in 100%. the arena changes you. So I don't know if you're, and by the way, and then I'll tell you some stories. By the way, anybody listening, anybody watching, it's on me. Like if you, if you, if you tell me, oh, I don't have the money. It's so expensive. Joe's just trying to sell stuff. I'll give it to you free. It's no problem. Like I, like yeah. I just want to change lives. I get paid. This is a very hard business. I'm not selling lollipops. Yeah. I'm not selling handbags. The superficial unhealthy things are very successful businesses because we are wired to go the easy way. Least, least common than not. You said it earlier, right? We are not wired to sign up for something hard. Take a look at the military. There's a shortfall on recruit, and they pay you. Surprise, no one surprise. wants to sign up for hard. Yeah. You sign up for hard. You got you're committed. You got to be disciplined. You got to eat healthy. You got to get tested. Nobody wants that. We all want lollipops. Anyway, incredible stories. I get them all day, every day. I get. I'm back with my husband. I'm back with my wife. I had the last six years with my daughter or my son training and doing races together. Thank you. I gave up drugs. I had a guy, he was missing most of his teeth. He meets me randomly at one of our races at the, in the festival area. He says, I got to talk to you. I said, what's up? He said, I heard an ad for a Spartan race. I was in my truck. I was a drug addict for over a decade. 
and it stopped me in my tracks. It sounded exciting. It sounded like it could fill a void. I pulled over and I went into the woods right out of my truck. I heard the ad. I went into the woods. I walked around, signed up for this race. You have completely changed my life. I am not long. I'm no longer, you know, dealing with drugs. Incredible stories. Uh, you saved my, I didn't kill myself. I'm a veteran. I'm now in a fire department. I was in a really dark place. I had the gun out and I remembered I had a race next weekend with friends. I said, you have now, you now have races every week and the rest of your life. It's on us on our watch. You're not going down. And I, we get it. Amazing. We get it all the time. And, and, you know, it's going to sound self-serving coming from me because I own the business, but it's true. By the way, if you if you came with me, James, and we went to any race in the world, you just throw a dart at a at the global at the world. Yeah. We go do any race you want, and we take our phones and we walk the course backwards, and you just randomly go up to anybody at the at anybody, you get a story that blows you away. And you're like, how could this be? How could this be? It's almost like you say to yourself, do we just get all broken people or are all people broken? Yeah, absolutely. It's the latter. Right? And that's the thing, right? Like, so for instance, I open this podcast and I'm always wanting to understand, you know, the origin story, right? Where people have come from, things that have shaped their life and trajectory. And in effect, all they end up telling me is significant emotional events because that is what does it. There's certain people or experiences or trauma sometimes um, that, that shift that, that shift your perceptions of maybe what you're capable of or uh, elevate the standards you're prepared to accept in your life. And that is why I love what you do so much because you, it is a platform that's controllable rather than leaving it to chance because a lot of people stumble upon hardship through you know a, a, an adversity due to, you know, sometimes unfortunate uh, circumstances, perhaps where they grow up, or maybe they're not as lucky as others. And in a way, you, you could look at that as a blessing or a curse. But what this does is it levels it. And it means that you have access. And this is why I love to do something like this once a year, because it just strips away all that shit that you acquire from our, our, our culture, in terms of the being belt fed comfort, safety, told you're amazing, told everything's going to be okay. And it just gives you that reset that's just, for me, priceless uh, and shifts the baseline of positive emotion for me for the next 12 months until, you know, 11 o'clock up a bit of residue again. And that's why you've got to send it, send it again. But yeah, I, I can't, I, I think it's incredible. And those stories are just absolutely awesome. In terms of you as this performer from, and, and, and I know you wear multiple hats when we talk about the word performer, but as an entrepreneur, what would you say has been a peak experience for you that you look back and be like, right, that was that moment. Maybe it was, it could be a 30 second period. It could be a three month period, a year, but is there a period that jumps out for you as a moment that you were just like, wow, I'm performing on, all, uh, I'm firing on all cylinders here and I'm loving it. I mean, I'm not going to answer the question. Well, but I'm going to, I'm going to think about moments in my life that were pivotal. Yeah. And then, I, and then I'll stumble upon. So yes, I know exactly where I'm going. So when I was a kid, my dad had had us working, no surprise, based on what I said earlier in the backyard, doing a lot of, you know, grunt work. And I couldn't move a rock. It's too heavy. Dad said, no problem. I'll get somebody who can. 
And that really pissed me off. And I went back and I moved the rock. You know, it sounds like a fable, but but it was it was pivotal for me. Fast forward a few months, a few years, I don't remember. And my dad and my grandfather were, were talking amongst each other just far enough that I could hear them. They could have been doing it on purpose. My grandfather said to my father, looking over at me, wow, this kid's a hard worker. I heard that and I became a hard worker at that moment. I defined myself based on what was said. And it could have been a setup, but if it was, it was, it was genius. So that was a pivotal moment, moment for me. Getting accepted into Cornell after four tries. Four uh, tries, nice. Four, you know, a pivotal moment for me. Um, finding adventure racing and these crazy experiences around the world, traveling the world. Who gets to do this? Traveling the world and seeing places by foot. Alaska, Switzerland, New Finland, the desert, you name the place. I got to see it in slow motion and have a lot of time to absorb and think along the way. I was, I was at the Swiss, I was doing an Ironman in Switzerland. My wife was eight months pregnant. I had done 14 Ironman that year. I thought I was a badass. I came across the finish line. My wife said, what are we doing? I said, what do you mean? She said, are we having a family? Are we doing Ironmans? What are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> Cause I'm eight months pregnant. It's hot out. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And so she put her foot down. That was the end of that. That next morning, we went to a little French town, came out of Swiss, Switzerland Ironman, slept in a hotel in a little French town. The town was loaded with hills. It was ridiculously hilly. Everybody in that town must have had one long leg and one short leg to live there. It was ridiculous. I woke up super early in the morning. The guest book in this hotel had all these Tour de France winners that came from this town. No wonder, because if you were a kid and you had to walk around this town, you had to be strong just to get food from the grocery store. I woke up super early. I couldn't sleep. I did the Ironman the day before, and I went on a run. I started running around this hilly town. And I ran for about five hours, and I noticed I didn't get out of breath. I felt fantastic, like, like better than I had ever felt from an athletic standpoint. And on that run, I thought to myself, you know, my mom had died. Her mother died um, of cancer, even though she they tried to change her lifestyle. My mom died, her sister died. Many incidents of cancer uh, surrounding the neighborhood we grew up in. There was a garbage dump. So, so my mom had died. And while I was on that run, I thought, you know, I never gave back to hospice care where, where they took care of my mom the last you know, 30, 45 days of her life. I owe them something. I'm going to try to run 300 miles straight. I've never felt this good as I'm on the run. I'm thinking this. It's Sunday. I'm going to do it Wednesday. I'm going to go run 300 miles, see if I could do it. And I'll, everybody will donate a penny, a dollar a mile, whatever, and I'll, I'll give all the money to hospital care. But if I sit around and think about it and train for it, I'll probably talk myself out of it. I've never felt this good before. It seems like a perfect moment. I immediately sent an email out to everybody I knew. I'm raising money for hospital care. Wednesday night, midnight, I'm leaving New York City, Tavern on the Green in Central Park, and I'm running to Vermont. 300 miles. Donate, join me if you want. Come out and do 10, 20, 30 miles with me. 
and I went out and I ran 300 miles. It took me 83 hours. That was unbelievable for me. Bloody hell, that's a, that is a whack. It was, it was awesome because you're going to love this. At mile 200, 225, I ran my fastest 25 miles ever in my life. And so you say to yourself, you did an Ironman three, four days earlier. Yeah. You went on a big run on Sunday. You just ran 200. How? So human body, I hate when people say to me, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. Oh, I can't do that. I did legs yesterday. I'm like, you stupid idiot. I'm like the human body is so amazing. Every it has to recover, it has to perform. If it doesn't, we die. So it, yeah. you know, there is a point of diminishing returns, no doubt about it. But it actually gets stronger, more efficient, more powerful. Uh, the more you lean into it. Well, this so, is it, right? It's the it's the mind that that, that that holds you back, not the body. Yeah. Yep. So 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 that was a big. That was a big athletic. I mean, for me, that was the Olympics. You know, I'm, you know, yeah, I was well, never I fast. That's an never incredible great. achievement, full stop, and and for a, a brilliant cause as well. I can imagine there was a lot of meaning to that as well. Um, and is it, Joe? Is it true? Did you meet your wife at one of your events? Or I did. I did. I was. I was at a race. I was asked to go to a race in Nantucket. A friend of a friend had a little prop plane. They needed a teammate because it was a relay race. It was not a race I would do. I'm going to sound snobbish, but at that time I was doing these really long distance events and they take a lot out of you. They take up a lot of your time. I was not going to go do an event with a three or four mile, you know, it had to be four or five days. It was not going to be yeah. four or five miles. And he talked me into it. He had the plane. We're just going to pop over to Nantucket. You're going to run the leg. You're going to put, you know, 30 pounds on your back. You're going to run the beach, the beach leg, and then you'll tag the swimmer and the swimmer will do the swim. And so I ran the beach leg and I got to the swim and I tagged my swimmer and I looked out at the water and I'm, I'm deathly afraid of sharks. And I looked out at the water and I said, you know, you didn't really get much of a workout in here and you're afraid of sharks. Don't be a, you know what? get in the water and do the swim. So I took my shoes off. I dove in the water. I did the swim, came out the other side. I had no shoes. My swimmer had shoes waiting for him because that he was meant to do that leg. I was not meant to do that leg. So I was walking around without shoes, trying to figure out where to go. And I meet this girl and she says, Hey, you have no shoes. You're going to hurt your tootsies. And that was a word that my my mom, my grand, they would have used that word on my mother's side of the family. So it's not a common word. It's a right. silly word, but it really triggered something. And I thought, wow, I, I gotta, I gotta hunt this woman down. And, and, uh, <laughs> and job. so I found, I found her in our first date with an eight hour kayak. I, I kidnapped her and, um, under complete torture in a kayak with no food and water. <laughs> she, she was convinced to go on a second date. Brilliant. Persistence beats resistance. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but before we dive deeper into the conversation, I want to express how grateful I am that you're voluntarily choosing to spend your time here with us. I also want to take a moment to ask for your support. I want to bring you the best podcast I can in terms of guests, engaging discussions and thought provoking conversations every week. And that's where you come in. 
by hitting that like button and subscribing to the podcast, you play a vital role. Simply put, when you hit that like button or subscribe, you enable the podcast to reach a much wider audience. And the wider the audience, the easier it is for guests within my network to convince their agents, management teams to free up their diary and come on the show. Thank you in advance for your likes and subscriptions. Now, let's get back to business. Fantastic. Well, like, look, on the flip side of a course, a peak experience is um, what I would describe as like a redhead moment, that, that moment where everything's maybe going well, then all of a sudden, whack, something comes from nowhere. As we've talked about, life will inevitably chuck at us all. Is there a moment that stands out as a particularly challenging event? And I wondered if there, if there is, maybe you could talk us through that and how you went about dealing with it. Well, the worst, the worst moment, I mean, outside of, outside of losing, you know, your mom or your dad or, or, you know, somebody you, you care about the worst moment for me has been the last three years. It's been an absolute disaster. We were on top of the world. We were competing very well against Tough Mudder. We were beating them. Mm -hmm. We acquired them right before the pandemic. We bought out our investors. We were on top of the world. We had finally made it 20 years into the, whatever it was. And, and then the pandemic hit and it shut us down. And we had already sold $45 million worth of tickets to 450,000 participants. And so I had to tell 450,000 people, sorry, I can't put on a race. You know, the world is shut down, but it'll only be two weeks. I'll give you two tickets for every ticket that you didn't get to, to utilize. I can't give you your money back because I've already spent it because that's the way this business works. You spend that money in advance of events. You don't spend it on the day of the event. You've got to sure. rent the venue and you got to hire the, <clears throat> the ambulances and, and pay the insurance. And so I gave everybody two tickets. Obviously, it didn't last two weeks. It lasted two years. When the world opened back up, I had to launch over 200 events at once. Never did that before. When you think back to our inception, we launched one event, and then we launched two events, and then we launched three events. Now I had to launch over 200 at once. So I got to rent 200 venues at once, hire 500 people, get all the trucks started, like massive, massive amount of energy and dollars required. And then I failed to realize that the first 90, $100 million of ticket sales, I don't get because I gave those away to the people two years earlier, yeah. the customers. So to say it's been a shit show would be an understatement, um, but persistence is the key to success. And most of our competitors quit, gave up, threw in the, you know, the white towel. We could have easily gone bankrupt. Everybody would have understood it. Joe would have been able to maintain a reputation, but we haven't. We've we've hung in there. We've fought by tooth and nail. I don't know how the hell we did it. And here we are. That's incredible. And there's a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon as well. Like one of the things I wanted to ask you about was DECA. I, I really enjoy competing in fitness racing. I know in the UK, it's really people are talking about it left, right and center. Um, what, what are some of the things you're excited about coming into the next sort of year or so? Well, just getting back fully on our feet is is super exciting. We've got a bunch of brands, as you pointed out, where we want to be the Louis Vuitton of hard shit. <laughs> so, so you think about, we've got obstacle racing, Spartan and Tough Mudder. We've got trail running, Spartan Trail. We've got functional fitness. We've got DECA. We've got uh, hiking challenges called Highlander Adventure, which is amazing. 
And then we've got all our crazy, crazy, crazy events, uh, all, all under extreme endurance. So whether it's a paddleboard race in Hawaii or the original mountain bike race in Costa Rica, we put on these crazy, crazy, uh, series of events. You can check them out at project seven, uh, at Spartan. Yeah. Well, but, I was going to uh, ask you actually, because I know people listening here, we've got sort of extremes from probably both. Then we've got some people that maybe aren't hugely physical, physically active, but, um, certainly have ambitions to engage. And where would you say is a, the nice person, a nice place to start for them in terms of a specific event? Is it something that jumps out? I think anybody listening could do anything we offer. Okay. I, I think you'll be scared. I think, you, you know, I probably scared you a little bit at the interview, but <laughs> you, you can offer all the people listening a, an event on us. They want to bring a hundred friends that have never, it's on us. Uh, in other words, I'm trying to eliminate the excuses. Your brain, if you're listening is already saying, Oh, I can't do it. I gotta get in shape. I gotta eat healthy. I'm not ready. I don't have time. It's all nonsense. That's just your brain trying to protect itself. You wake up in the morning with the with the greatest intention to work out. You find yourself scrolling on your phone, making coffee. You're only doing that because subconsciously the brain is like, you don't want to work out. That's going to expend too much energy. That's a legacy hardware and software problem from five, 10,000 years ago. Um, we, we, that's not working out. It's not a threat. Doing one of Joe's races is not a threat. Um, come out, do it. It's on us. No charge. No, no excuse. And it will be... Uh, What's the word you said? S E E. You said significant emotional event. Significant will, emotional event that will uh, significantly shift your baseline uh, positive right. emotion and perceptions of yourself. It will shift your perceptions of possible for sure as well. I also know uh, there's some people listening to this that are absolute uh, beasts, and they like to think of themselves as some. And I, I've had a request from a few people to ask you about what you perceive to be the ultimate or the, the the toughest of the the challenges that are on the menu. Yeah, I would say for me, and I've done I've done some crazy events, for me, the death race is really hard. Not just because we own it, not just because I'm passionate about that particular event, but when you when you are point to point in an event, when you know it's a hundred miles, 200 miles, uh, rowing across the Atlantic, whatever it may be, yes, it's going to be hard. Yes. It's challenging. Yes. You have to train for it, but you know where you're going, you know, where you started, you know, where you're going, you might get blown off course, but the death race, you don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's next. So we talk get us through a bit in a bit more depth in terms of the death race. That's yeah. So the death, the, the death race was, uh, came out of me being upset with an Ironman. I noticed in Lake Placid Ironman, it was raining and a bunch of people quit. And I thought to myself, it says Ironman. It doesn't say Ironman unless it's raining. I don't understand. And what was happening was people train. They become really proficient in any sport in that particular discipline. They know that they get their water breaks. They know like it's all organized. And that's, that's a catered training day. And I thought, I want to create an event that emulates life where everything that can go wrong does go wrong, where you might not have water, you might not have food, you're probably gonna get lied to, where the organizer is trying to get you to quit, very much like a military selection process. Yeah. And so now I would say it's even crazier than military selection process because I don't have to deal with the rules and regulations of the military. <laughs> we just get to do what we want. I might put you in the middle of a bullfighting ring with a live bull, I've done it. So. 
so anyway, it's a crazy, crazy event. And it gets you to really look in the mirror, search deep down inside and find out what you're made of. Surprisingly, you know, the people that finish that thing are not what you would suspect. It could be a mom. It could, you know, she's fighting. She went through an issue, God forbid, with her fan, whatever it may, you know, it could be an entrepreneur, skinny entrepreneur. It's not what you expect that finish yeah. these things. I love that. And Joe, like, how do you, obviously you got a lot going on. You, 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 you're, you've got your family, you've got your business, you're in a challenging period with that. Um, you're ambitious. You train yourself at a high level. I mean, the other side of training and competing is rest and recovery. How do you sort of flick the switch and detach, relax? What, what, what is, uh, what, what is sharpening the ax for you? How do you spend your time in that regard? First of all, there's nothing I love more than chopping wood. So, okay. so literally chopping wood, brilliant. Literally, literally chopping wood. I go to bed early. I don't drink. Okay. I last night nine, maybe nine p.m. rolled into bed. The lights are still on. My wife's cleaning the kitchen. The kids are still making a ton of noise. I'm not dealing with it. I'm sorry, guys. I go to bed. Like I set my alarm clock at night not in the morning. And so I get up, everybody's still sleeping. It's 4.45 this morning. I'm in the cold water. I'm on the fan bike. That's my meditation. That's my, that's my happy place. I'm, I go for my run. I knock out my push-ups and pull-ups. So in the dark, when everybody's sleeping, on either end, night or morning, as yeah. you know, yeah. Fantastic. Could you could you talk us through um, the programs you have for kids? Because yeah, I've heard great, some incredible yeah. things about those as well, and, and I know it links to what we were talking about earlier. But I think people would be really interested to hear hear about what's going on there and some of the some of the results you've had with that. I know yeah, that's so a meaningful one for you as well. We've got one hundred and fifty thousand kids a year that come out and do our events, but those those are the you know two mile events at a Spartan race somewhere in the world. For my own kids, from for our kids, I started putting them through some really hard things at, you know, six years old, seven years old, eight years old. And what I found was I'd be more successful. We'd be more successful if I had other kids with them. Hard to just torture your own kids. So we started what we call, um, I, ca I call a death camp on our farm in Vermont at it starts the week before death race. And it's everything you would imagine in the military. It's waking up. It's carrying rocks up and down the mountain. Some things just have no purpose at all, but you're asked to do them. It's, you know, limited rations. It's getting to bed early. It's no phones. It's no junk food. And surprisingly, surprisingly, the kids want to come back. Doesn't make doesn't make sense, right? But they I think they feel really, really good about themselves. I've been told by people we give them this this shirt at the end of it that the kids will wear the shirt for days on end. <laughs> they just yeah. want to show off that they got something big done. Yeah, and so they should. And out yeah. of interest, the kids that turn up there, how many of them do you think of of uh, truly voluntarily? You know, please, please, please. 
I, I want to go and how how many uh, versus parents that have sort of like we, we talked about like sometimes you need to lie and just get them there and then for their own I, I don't yeah i don't think there's a ton very small percentage raise their hand yeah. I believe it's the it, the parents are saying I need a solution to what we described earlier in this conversation, and I'm sending them to Joe's farm. Right. Now we don't. I can't. I can't handle. You know. I, I wish I was collaborating with the military. And we could do it on a large scale, but I can't handle more than a hundred kids. So there is a giant waiting list, which is another surprising thing for me, <laughs> because. Why are all these, you know, why are all these families seeking, like, why don't they just instill it in yeah. their own neighborhood, in their own house? Why do they need to send them to me? And I, I think it comes down to, you said, you know, leadership. It like used you to said be earlier. called school, didn't it? It used exactly. to be called school. Yeah. You used to have yeah. discipline, physical education and, you know, yeah. That's right. Interesting. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Joe, is because one of the things I find particularly interesting about your background is, you know, you're not, you're not just, you're not like a mob guy. You're not a finance guy. You're not just, you've, you've got all these different strings to your bow. And I wondered if you'd mind, and I appreciate you've dropped lessons throughout, but I wondered if you could perhaps share a lesson from each of those sort of relatively unique domains you've been in. Like if, if I were to ask you, like, what was, what's the one key lesson you sort of internalized through being around individuals that, that you described, you know, back in Queens, the Goodfellas side of things. Yeah. One that, one that I've talked about in the past was I learned from the, the boss of the banana crime family was, you know, on time is late. He, he, he started me in my business. So he gave me three lessons. He said, on time is late. He said two, I'm paying you to clean the swimming pool but you really need to go above and beyond. You got to clean the shed, you know, straighten out the lawn furniture, clean the windows, even though you're not getting paid for that. And then number three, which is going to be very controversial. I, I see all kinds of comments on this one. Um, never ask for money. And it doesn't make sense. You want to be an entrepreneur. You want to be in business. How, how, how could it be? Why would you not ask for money? And really the point there is the point there is if you have your hand out and you're always looking for what's in it for you when you when you meet somebody, a client or a prospective client or whatever, uh, people are going to feel that, and they're and 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 you're going to get less business than you otherwise would have. Instead, well, you heard me say it throughout this podcast: race on me, mm -hmm. race on me. And it's not that I'm Mother Teresa. Number one, I'm doing a good thing; it makes me feel good. Number two, you're probably going to buy a hat and a T-shirt when you're there anyway. And number three, there's a good chance you become addicted. By the way, I might even change a life. So what? It cost, it cost me, I gave up $100, but I changed a person's life. They didn't kill it, whatever. Yeah. Who's better than me? Fantastic. Oh, one last thing. One yeah. last thing. That customer, whether it's in the pool business or restaurant, where that customer is going to tell 10 people about how awesome you are. The mm -hmm. one that doesn't like you the one that doesn't like the service you provide is going to tell, you know, a lot of people, a lot more than the one that likes you. So you need to do, you need to go above and beyond to get the good word out because the bad word moves a lot faster. Yeah, true that. And is, is it fair to say that as well, I just to, just to orientate the audience again, you weren't just like a kid cleaning a couple of pools. You had a, you had a serious business going, right? 
Yeah, we we had 700 customers and and it became a, a sizable business by the time I graduated college. It was it was tough for me to make that decision to go to Wall Street because I I had such a significant business. I can imagine. And and then moving on to that as a nice segue, Wall Street, I mean it's it's iconic. It's a it, again another domain uh movies are made of um you know documenting the 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 that lifestyle were there any lessons there you think were particularly valuable well there was a, there was a few things you know I'm, I'm a capitalist for sure and what i got to see on wall street was that the quarterly requirements for companies the companies that feed us the companies that sell us the stuff we buy They've got quarterly requirements. They've got to make their numbers. The CEO is not going to make any money. Management team is not going to make any money. They're going to get fired if they don't deliver every single quarter, every three months. What that does is it creates you know, unnatural, unintended negative consequences. So for example, you and I have the greatest intentions. We're running a food business. It's public. We can buy, we can buy ingredients a little bit less expensively if we, you know, we took that shortcut. Ultimately, most of the companies do that. We could we could hire a few scientists that'll figure out how to make that food a little more addictive. So instead of eating one Dorito, you eat a whole bag. We're probably going to do that. So the quarterly requirements, making your numbers, gets management teams and CEOs. And I'm not a conspiracy. I'm not saying like, oh, it's a conspiracy. But they're doing things that are good for them and their company and their employees. And they're keeping themselves healthy as a business. Mark Zuckerberg, he's probably not an evil guy, but he's sitting there saying, how do I get more people to stare at the screen longer because I got to make my quarterly numbers and I got to make sure my competitors don't wipe me out. And Google's doing the same thing and Apple's doing the same thing. And so what you end up with is this unintended negative consequence where everybody's walking around like zombies looking at screens. Absolutely. So that was, that was what I picked up on Wall Street. Okay, and then... As a competitor, as someone who was, you know, competing in Ironmans, running 300 milers, was there a lesson you've learned that, that stands out among, among the rest? Yeah, the, big, the biggest lesson, and this applies to everybody listening, is um, you're not going to do the work. None of us are going to do the, Even the, the most highly motivated, most disciplined person is not going to do the work unless you have a date on the calendar. That Olympian knows they have the Olympics coming up, the Olympic trials, whatever it may be. That boxer knows they have a fight coming up. If you don't have that test coming, you're not going to do the work. So you need to always have something hard on your calendar. You need to scream from the rooftops and tell everybody you know that you're doing you're competing in the Olympics. You got that boxing match coming. You're doing you have to tell everybody because you have to be so embarrassed at your performance that it's going to force you to live the healthy lifestyle that you want to live. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely critical. And I, I would implore anyone listening to, to really internalize that and action it as soon as possible in respect to whatever goals you're getting after um, in the next six months or so. Um, I wanted to ask you very quickly about mentors. You've, you've talked about a few, I guess, but is, is there anyone that stands out as an individual that's perhaps a disproportionate effect on the way you've you've maybe perceived your own potential or impacted the way you've gone about and attacked life the way you have? 
Well, surely my father, my mother, yeah, my family, the guys in the neighborhood. There was a guy in Ithaca, New York, that got me to Wall Street. I've got some amazing friends that are my age that are mentors that are wildly successful that I can lean on. And and they also, you know, help me when I stumble. Mm -hmm. It's nice having very wealthy friends that, that are wildly successful because handy, yeah. it does it, it you just need to know you have a safety net so you can stick your neck out and do these crazy things. So yeah, a bunch of them. And if you you've, you've dropped so much advice, but if there was one message you could cement into people listening to this now, what would that message be? Well, it'd be it, it's longer than a word or two, I would say. Go to bed early. There's nothing that good that happens after 11 p.m. I don't know what people are doing. You're not a vampire. Go to bed early. Give up the drinking. Nothing good comes from the alcohol. I don't. I don't understand. I was giving a speech the other day on Necker Island, Branson's place, and there are a bunch of people in the audience. And afterwards, a woman, oh my God, I love it. I'm going to do a race. I'm going to get in shape. And as the waiter was pouring a big glass of wine, I said, why you don't need the wine. We you, like, you're telling me I, whatever I just mentioned up here in the speech resonated with you. Like, why are you drinking? So get rid of the alcohol, get to bed, wake up early, definitely do the cold. You've got to do the cold. All the science now says cold before working out, not yeah. after. So yeah. whether it's a cold shower, a cold plunge, jump in the river, go in the ocean. If you're lucky enough to live near an ocean, sweat, Breathe heavy. They they tend to run in tandem. So anybody that's telling you about breath work or this nonsense or that nonsense, just get the fuck outside and go run. It's gonna force you to breathe. You know, breathe. It's gonna force you um, to get earthing. Like you're gonna get earthing. All these things you're gonna get done if you just go outside and work your butt off and eat more salad. Brilliant, fantastic advice, Joe. Um, Next, look, we're getting towards the end now. Another question I just wanted to finish up with was, in the context of your career now, what is most important to you moving forward? I just want to change more lives. We 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 put a big audacious goal out there: change 100 million lives. We've had 10 million people do a race from somewhere in the world. How do I get another 90 million? If if I didn't have to pay the bills and, and cover payroll and do all these things, I would just work with kids. I, we have a huge problem globally uh, in all developed nations, and I just want—I just want to help kids. Fantastic! I just want to finish off with a few quick fire questions. Favorite movie? Favorite movie is probably Batman Begins. Brilliant choice. Favorite series? Peaky Blinders. Nice book. The Endurance, um, a story about Shackleton. Okay. Is there a favorite quote you've got? Nobody cares, work harder. Nice. Greatest athlete of all time? Hmm. There was an Italian, I don't know his name, when I did the Iditarod in Alaska. He he beat us by a day and a half. He walked it. He, he only had one eye. Walked it in boots, got to the finish line, took his boots off, poured a bunch of blood out, got on a flight and went back to Italy. That guy is the greatest athlete Mike of all time. Fantastic. 
greatest team of all time? Uh, the All Blacks. And if you could have a coffee or a, a green tea with any historical figure, who, who would that be? Got to be, it's got to be Shackleton. Okay. Joe, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. There's so much value in that. And I've got no doubt um, that conversation is going to impact a lot of people in a lot of positive ways. And we're going to smash up a load of links in terms of the events. Uh, I'm actually ironically meeting my training partner later tonight to book one. Um, so yeah, I, I can't wait to tear into it. Get um get a whole like spreadsheet together, all the people in your ecosystem that want to do an event anywhere in the world and and uh, we'll just hook them up. That's awesome, Joe. So anyone listening, if you want to jump on a Spartan race, make sure you get in touch and we'll get that sorted. We can have a, a podcast team even. There you go. Brilliant. Joe, thanks so much, mate. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with us today. I love this topic of human performance and excellence and I've been engaged in it neurotically for the last 20 years. It's a sincere privilege to have the opportunity to share my knowledge, network and learnings with you. Now go and put the principles to work. Make sure you let us know what resonates. Reach out with questions. Blind spots, we've got you covered. Remember, excellence is just a series of days repeated over and over again. Now go and win your day. In 2021, I published my first book, Accelerating Excellence. If you're finding the conversations and information on this podcast useful, you might want a physical reference point and to gain even deeper awareness of the concepts discussed. The book's actually more of an operation manual containing more detail with a step-by-step -step guide on how to implement all this stuff so you can get maximum benefit, which was one of my main motivations in writing it. Yes, I want the podcast and the book to be inspiring and entertaining, but it was non-negotiable for me to make sure that the listener or reader is provided with a structure and direction in terms of actually putting this stuff to work. The book's called Accelerating Excellence. It's a number one international bestseller. And if you're moving from more than just interest towards implementation, I think you'll really enjoy it. Like everything I do, the book is evidence-based, but practice-led, drawing on my experience, working with some of the world's most elite, exclusive, high-performing teams and individuals. It's filled with highly actionable strategies you can apply today to become better tomorrow. If this sounds like something from you, see the link in description where you can download six chapters of the book for free in either audio or digital format. It's also available to purchase on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at your local bookstore. I hope you enjoy. By now, we all know the importance of a winning mindset. We're bombarded with elite performers telling us that mindset's what separates the best from the rest. That if we want to be successful, we need to be more confident, resilient, and motivated. And of course, when panic strikes, we need to calm down, relax, or chill out. Great, we get it. But the question is how? We're given this guidance with almost zero practical advice in terms of how to achieve it. Where can we actually go to develop that world-class mindset? What's the back squat for resilience, the bench press for confidence, and the bicep curl for positive thinking? Well, that's why I created the Mindset app. Through the app, you'll gain access to the psychological skills training used by world champion athletes, special forces operators, and some of the world's most successful traders and investors. The reality is these guys pay me a fortune to help them get this right. 
But the thing is, these skills are equally, if not more important for the aspiring athlete, executive or operator. And that's exactly why I created this app. I want these tools and training available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Mindset is a skill and like any skill, it can be developed with the right strategy and effort. The tools and techniques are designed in a way that will literally rewire your brain. Like learning to ride a bike or drive a car, all the techniques are designed with creating a high-performing, self-regulating U2.0. Every strategy in the Mindset app is backed by empirical research. There's 10-minute emotional control training exercises that have been shown to increase your ability to overcome detrimental decision-making biases by up to 80%. In another study, just three weeks of executing visualization training led to 34% improvements in performance. Another research group found 50% greater improvements in the rate of learning. And just a few weeks of performing visualization led to 22% reductions in anxiety and 21% increases in confidence. These numbers are phenomenal. And I've never met an elite performer in any domain that can afford to be missing out on this type of edge. What I love most is that we've structured everything so that you don't need to carve out an extra hour in your day to get this done. Small bite-sized chunks of five to 10 minutes are all it takes. In fact, I'd only encourage you to use the tool on your commute, in the sauna, at the end of your working day, or bolt it onto the end of your gym session. Any dead time you have can now immediately be transformed to deliver you extreme performance gains. My goal is to remove every possible obstacle to your development. And with that in mind, the basic package is completely free. Visit the link in description and sign up for our pre-launch free emotional control, visualization, and performance routine programs. I really hope you enjoy.